Welcome this weekend to Life Church. It's so great to see you and have you with us. And uh, we're starting a brand new series called Circle Maker. And uh, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to get there in just a minute, Joshua chapter 6. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. But uh, in this new series um, that we're going to be doing the course of this month of January, we're going to be talking about the power of prayer in your life and how it works and what it is. And, and here's the deal. Um, we're going to talk more than just about how to pray, but we're also going to talk about why God does and does not answer prayer. We're going to talk about how to ask God to do great things in our life. We're going to talk about standing firm and believing and, and how to have that discipline in your life. And today I really kind of want to start from the whole, the question, uh, which is basically this, what do you need God to do in your life? Really, everybody that's here, there's something that you need God to do in your life. That's why you're here. You're not here just... You're not here to sing me. You're not here to just sing a couple of songs. You can do that in your car. I mean, you, you're not here just to see somebody else. You're here because you need God or you want God to do something in your life. And that may sound a little bit uh, brash. To some of you, it may sound a little bold. But the reality is, is that God's not off put by that. And I want you to think about that. What do you need as we talk over the course of this message today? What do you need God to do in your life? Maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your kids. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's healing. Maybe you need to get out of debt. Maybe you're believing God to do something great. Maybe, maybe you're believing for a child. I don't know what it may be for you, but everybody in this room, there's something that you need God to show up and do that only God can do. And I believe that he wants to meet you right where you are. So why the circle maker? Well, this book, Circle Maker, uh, you can pick it up out at guest services. Uh, it's 10 bucks, so it's, it's what it costs us. We're selling it to you. Uh, it's $10, and this book's kind of an inspirational, motivational uh, book about prayer. And, uh, and so uh, we're kind of going along with it. After this weekend, really what happens in this book is more about something that would be um, probably just some good extra reading to keep you motivated as you go along. Because I'm going to say some things this weekend that are going to be directly from the book. But then after that, we're going to kind of go a little bit, we're going to kind of walk through uh, Luke chapter 11. Uh, as Jesus began to talk to the disciples about prayer and persistency, and, and we're going to walk through that over the next three weeks. But I encourage you to pick the book up. I've read it. And let me tell you a little bit of the backstory, kind of how we got to this place here. Um, Mark Batterson, who's the author of the book, author of many great books. Mark and I went to college together. Mark's a couple years older than me. I know Mark. Mark's actually been to Life Church, and he kind of uh, came to Wisconsin and, and did a couple of, uh, of kind of some pastor roundtables, and, and I hosted him when he was in, in, in Wisconsin, and uh, for a few days we hung out, and, and I see Mark from time to time, and and uh, But back in the spring, in May, I uh, had scheduled a time just to go and be with him. And uh, there were just some things I wanted to connect with him about. And so we put everything together and got everything planned out. And I went to D.C. He pastors National Community Church in Washington, D.C. Great church. If you're ever in the area, I'd encourage you to go. Uh, about 70% of the church are single. 
and uh, and about and and a lot of them are all twenty somethings, and so young uh, DC staffers and work on Capitol Hill and so forth and so on, and so uh, they have this multi-site church where they leverage video technology, kind of what we're doing with West Campus and and West Campus. Just want to give a shout out to you. We love you. We're so glad that you're there, and we've got other campuses like that planned throughout the Milwaukee metro area, and uh, Mark's doing this, and so. You know, I, I, I went there and, and I met with Mark, and I wanted to talk church, wanted to talk shop, but I also wanted just to kind of, just I just felt like I was supposed to just have that connecting point. So that's what I did. And, um, you know, Mark, the, the National Community Church, they have a, a coffee shop there uh, that would be like an Altera, and uh, it's, it's their own deal. It's a for-profit coffee shop. It makes quite a bit of money. Uh, the proceeds all go to missions. Uh, on the third level of the coffee shop, there's actually, that's where the church offices are. Uh, they actually bought the last piece of property on Capitol Hill. That's where the, the coffee shop is in the basement. They actually do, uh, they have a Saturday evening service that they do. Uh, and, um, and then like how we do it at, uh, at Germantown uh, on Saturday evenings. And, and so, and then from there, they have gone to, to buy a, a theater and that God's opened the door for. And Mark just began to tell me of all the great things that God was doing. And the more he talked, the more, man, I was just, my faith was growing, and the more I just wanted to take on every de- devil in hell. You know what I'm talking about? It was just like, it was just go time. And uh, he told me, he said, man, we've got the opportunity to, to purchase this theater, and financially, there's, how do we do this? I mean, we're, we're a church of, of, of a decent size, but most everybody is young. They're 20-somethings. They, they don't have a lot. And uh, he said, so there was a, a couple in the church that called me over to their house and, and said to me, and he said, I really thought they were going to get mad. They were going to talk about how the, loud the music was or, or how irreverent we were because we're not the most orthodox of people. And, and he said, they were just, hey, you, keep, you talked about this, this opportunity to buy this theater, and we're looking around, and we're older, uh, and there's just no way that you guys are going to be able to do this. So they wrote a million-dollar personal check and just said, here, we want to give you this. But two months later, Mark says, he gets another phone call again for coffee. And they go, you keep talking about this, and we see things are happening. But again, it's a young congregation. Here's $2 million for this. Then, then uh, Mark said, we, had, we were raising money, but, you know, it was coming in slow. Everybody's just kind of working, you know, paying their bills and kind of giving a little bit extra as they could. Finally, we, we were about $3 million short, and the couple just called and said, look, we're tired of hearing you talk about this. Come pick up the last $3 million and buy the theater. Well, by the time Mark's telling me this, man, I'm, I'm ready just to buy every theater from here to, 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 you know, to Escanaba, Michigan. You know, I'm just, I'm just ready to go. And he began to talk about the power and the place of prayer. And he said, Aaron, I'm just saying that God has strategically done some things that only can happen through prayer. And I know this, I'm a pastor, I mean, I preach this, I live this, I believe this, but it just came alive in me. And he went back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. He said, so once a week we do 714 prayer, 714 a.m., and the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart in that moment. He just said, that's what, from the time that the shovels go into the ground for the Germantown campus until the time you get into that new sanctuary, I want you to open the church up seven days a week at 714 and honor me and pray. That's why we do that. That happened all the way back in May. And, then, and, and as I was talking to Mark, I hadn't even read the book Circle Maker yet. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't read it. I, I knew, I mean, I'd read other books that Mark had, had written, but I hadn't read that book yet. And Mark just began to talk about, and then he told me the story of Honey. 
And as he began to tell this story of Honey the Circle Maker, the inspiration behind the book, it became very clear to me that we need to have a series and go in this direction in January of 2013. That's why we're doing this. And that this just was a thing that put me over the edge. So instead of me trying to tell you the story, I'm just going to have Mark, he's sitting in his office in D.C. on that third floor in Capitol Hill, tell you the story of Honey the Circle Maker, and then I'll come back and finish the message. Every book has a backstory. There's a moment when an idea is conceived in the imagination of an author, and that idea is destined to become a book. So before I tell you the story of the circle maker, let me tell you the backstory. Up until my senior year of college, I'd only read a dozen books not assigned by a teacher. Most of them were sports biographies with lots of pictures and stats. I just wasn't a reader. Then during my senior year of college, I was on a road trip and I picked up an 800-page biography of Albert Einstein. I fell in love with reading. Well, since then, I've read thousands of books. In fact, I'm running out of bookshelves. But I have one shelf with a few dozen of my favorites. One of them is titled The Book of Legends. It's a collection of stories from the Jewish Talmud, and it contains the teachings of Jewish rabbis passed down from generation to generation. Because it contains more than a millennium worth of wisdom, reading the book of legends feels like an archaeological dig. Well, I dug down about 202 pages when I unearthed what may as well have been a a buried treasure. It was the legend of Honey the Circle Maker, and it forever changed the way that I pray. It gave me a new vocabulary, a new methodology. Well, it was the first century B.C., and a devastating drought threatened to destroy the generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles were a distant memory, and it seemed like God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, an old sage who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honi, and even if the people could not hear God, he believed that God could still hear them. Famous for his ability to pray for rain, the people pleaded with Honey to pray for a miracle. With a six-foot staff in his hand, Honey began to turn like a math compass, 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. When he was done turning, Honey stood inside the circle that he had drawn. Then he dropped to his knees and raised his hands to heaven. With the authority of the prophet Elijah who called down fire from heaven, Honey called down rain. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. The word sent a shudder down the spine of all who were within earshot that day. And then it happened. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. The people rejoiced over each raindrop, but Honey wasn't satisfied with the sprinkle. He lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration. 
Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that the people had to flee to the Temple Mount. But Honey still wasn't satisfied. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of thy favor, blessing, and graciousness. Well, the downpour turned into a perfectly proportioned sun shower. Each raindrop, a tangible token of God's grace. Honey was almost excommunicated for his prayer because some members of the Sanhedrin believed that it was too bold. Listen, God is not offended by our bold prayers. He's offended by anything less. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. And eventually, Honey was honored for the prayer that saved a generation. It was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle that he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol. And the legend of Honey the Circle Maker stands forever as a testament to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. And the sun has circled the earth more than 2,000 times since Honey prayed that audacious prayer. And I believe that God is still looking for circle makers, for prayer warriors, for people who are audacious enough to believe that God can and that he will, that will practice and experience the miraculous things of God. And that's what this series is all about. That's what we're going to be talking about. Let me tell you right from the very beginning, I believe in a God who is more than enough. I believe that we serve a God who can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can think of ask. I believe in a God who does miracles and who's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And why do you believe that, Aaron? Because that's what the Bible says. But many times when I look at my life or I look at our life, I go, when was the last time that we saw someone divinely healed? When was the last time that we saw a miracle happen in our midst? Not what happened years ago, not what we told in Bible stories from from God's word, but what about in our life? What about today? And here's what I sense more than anything else. It goes back to that question, what do you want from God? What do you need God to do in your life? Do you need him to heal you? Do you need him to restore your marriage? Do you need him to restore your home? Are you, are, are you swimming in debt? Uh, is, is there a dream? Is there a desire that God's put in your life that you just go, man, there's no way. And I'm telling you, if God placed it there, God can do it. And that's what this series is going to be about. From this weekend through the end of the month, if you don't want like, if you kind of like want milk toast Christianity, this, that real soppy, kind of nice, doesn't really require anything, of you, then just show up again in, in February. So we'll have one of those real nice series like that. We'll talk about love, love's in the air, and everybody feel warm and nice. But for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to push you. I'm going to push us, because here's what I know. If God shows up in your life, he'll show up in this church. If God shows up in your home, he'll show up in this church. If God does the miraculous in you, he'll do the miraculous in us. So let me give you a couple of statements you may disagree or disagree about, but I can biblically support. First of all, that bold prayers honor God because God honors bold prayers. Bold prayers are what honor God. And that's what God honors is bold prayers. God's not offended. Listen to me. God's not offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He's offended by anything else. God is not offended by your bold prayers, your big dreams, the things that are in your heart. He's offended by anything less. 
If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they're insulting to God. I'll tell you the reason why we don't see God do great things, because we don't ever ask for anything great. I mean, we think about it. I, you let me hear somebody's prayer, and I'll tell you where they're going in their life. Oh, Lord, just get me through the next week. Oh, God, just help Johnny and Sally. Oh, God, if you can do this. I mean, there's times, even as a staff, I go, look, I don't want to hear a prayer request for, you know, somebody's sick and somebody's got a cold. they got the creeping crud. We've all had it. Holla, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and the reality is, is what about a prayer that believes that God's going to show up and do something great? What about a prayer that says God's going to do the miraculous here? What about a prayer that talks about God saving someone's soul or a family coming to faith in Christ or a marriage being restored that everybody says that, that can't? What about a prayer that believes that God can, can, can help someone get out of debt and be free from the bond of debt? What about a prayer that sees something happen, see God move? That's what I'm talking about. If our prayers aren't impossible to us, they're insulting to God. Why are you so certain about that, Aaron? Because they don't require divine intervention. If you're asking God to do what anybody can do, God, you think God's going to get up for that? God, God is moved by our faith. God is moved. I'm going to show you in Scripture this. God is moved by that, and He wants us. The Bible says we have not because we ask not, that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all we could think of ask. And I've got a pretty big imagination. He can do it. Are you willing to ask? Are you willing to pursue? Are you willing to lay it on the line? Next statement, there is nothing that God loves more than keeping his promises and answering prayer. You need to know that. There's nothing that God loves more than keeping his promises and answering his prayer, answering your prayer. Some of you don't believe that. Some of you go, well, you know, I mean, God will save my soul from hell and I'll go to heaven and all that kind of stuff. But God really doesn't care about my car payment. Really? God really doesn't care about my, really? God really, you know, there's a lot of people on the planet. And I am amazed when I talk to people who are followers of Jesus Christ who never go to God boldly. I See, I, see the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we can boldly go to the throne of grace at any time. And he's going to be there. That Jesus is as close as the very mention of his name. That God is there. And that God, being a heavenly father, will do so much greater than an earthly father will do. I mean, I have two kids. And there's nothing that those kids would need that I would not move heaven or earth to do. And the Bible says that God the Father is even greater than that. So how many times are we just kind of pull back and are we just kind of go, well, maybe, I don't know, God will answer this prayer or not, or maybe he will, maybe he won't. And it boils down to this. Here's a question to ask yourself. Do you believe that God is for you? Seriously, do you believe that God is for you? Because if you don't believe that God's for you, if you don't believe that God's in your, in your corner, you'll never ask him for anything. If you don't believe that God is who the Bible says that he is, you'll never really approach him. If you don't believe that God really wants to open up the windows of heaven and pour a blessing upon you so great you don't have room enough to contain it, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, 11, and 12, you'll never expect it. And when you don't expect it, guess what will happen? Nothing. Big fat zero, big fat goose egg. Nothing will happen. And you'll walk around your whole life and go, well, it's never going to happen for me. You know, it happens for so-and-so, but not for me. It happens over here, but not for me. Well, guess what, McFly? The reason why it doesn't happen is because you don't believe that God can and will. You don't believe that God is yes and amen. You never ask him boldly with audacity to say, God, I need you. It's in that moment that God shows up. But you will only ask those questions of God if you really, really, truly believe he's for you. 
And some of you, over the course of today, or over the course of these next couple of weeks, you're going to realize that God is for you more than what you thought. You're going to realize that God cares a lot more than what you thought he did. You're going to realize that those dreams and desires that are in your heart, he's the one that gave them to you. You're going to realize that all you have to do in some situations is ask and believe, and it shall be done. Well, that sounds really nice, Aaron. No, that's called the Word of God. Matthew? says that when we ask with faith believing, we shall receive. See, if you don't believe that God is for you, then you'll, re- you'll reduce your life to praying small, timid prayers. If you believe God's for you, you'll pray big, audacious prayers. And why is all this important? Because your prayers are basically prophecies of your life. Let me explain it to you like this. Your prayers are the best predictors of your spiritual future you let me hear someone pray i'm just telling you i've been around people who pray and their prayers move mountains why because they approached god with such a familiarity with such a respect with such a relationship that's built out of intimacy over years that you just feel like whoa this is holy you ever heard someone pray like that that you just went wow this person has just touched god they're they've got a connection with god then you hear other people pray, and, uh, and, uh, and Lord, we just thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, we just praise you, Lord. You go, man, they don't pray, <laughs> right? They, they, they don't pray. They don't know how to pray. They don't approach the throne of grace, or the throne of God, to receive grace. They, 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 they don't get it. And I hope over the course of these next few weeks that this light bulb comes on. Because listen, let me tell you something. These messages, this subject of prayer is not something that can be taught. It's something that's got to be caught. It's not about six points or six ways or let me give you a formula. It's about you saying, God, here I am. God, do what you want to do. Why is it important? Because who you become is determined by how you pray. And ultimately, the transcript of your prayers will become the script of your life. I believe that. The transcript of your prayers will become the script of your life. If all you're praying for is God to get you through another week, that's the way your life will look. But if you're believing God to do exceedingly abundantly, if you're asking God to do the miraculous, if you're standing in faith believing and believing that he will and that he can, I'm telling you, you will see God move mountains. So, let's talk a little bit about this. This circle maker, when we talk about circle maker in this series, let me give you two statements. First of all, circle maker is not a prayer formula or a mechanism. Okay, I'm not giving you some formula. This is not what this is about. Matter of fact, if you Google Circle Maker, you'll have some haters out there drinking Haterade saying that Mark is taking some occultic practices of drawing circles and, and, and it's deviant. And, and help me understand something for a second. This is just on my soapbox. Why do we let the world hijack things, inanimate objects such as circles, to make them something that's satanic? Okay, you know what I'm saying? God can fix a lot of things, but he can't fix stupid. I mean, that's kind of like saying, well, because the gay and lesbian agenda, they use rainbows, and the rainbows are of the devil. No, 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 no. The Bible says that rainbows are a sign from God that it's his promise that he gave to know that he'll never flood the earth again. I mean, come on. I mean, don't check your brains out the door. So I just, don't get sidetracked by this. This is not about, I'm not going to ask you to, I'm not going to be selling chalk for you to draw a big circle with, okay? I'm not going to sell you your own sand that you can just draw circles and get your feng shui going on. Has everybody got me, right? This is just more so let's talk about what a circle maker is it's a metaphorical attitude of believing in the power of focused prayer resulting in God doing the impossible in our lives it's a, it's a metaphor or an attitude of believing in the power of focused prayer praying to Jesus Christ resulting in God doing the impossible in our lives 
So let me talk to you about the process. And I'm going to, over the next four weeks, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you this process. We're going to talk about each one uh, of a circle maker. We're not talking about this. First is discerning. The first thing is discerning. The first thing you have to do, if you're going to pray a prayer like honey prayed, you're going to pray a circle making prayer. It's metaphorical attitude. Is it begins with discerning. What is it that God wants to do in your life? That's what I asked you at the very beginning of the message. What do you want God to do? Some of you think, well, God didn't really want to do something for me. Yes, he does. He died. He gave his only son, Jesus Christ. God the Father gave his only son. And Jesus, the son of God, died on the cross for your sins for you because he loves you. So yes, he does want to do great things in your life. So what do you need him to do for you? What do you want to do for you? I'm not saying God's a genie in a bottle. Got it? I'm not saying this is some formula. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting it. That's what I just said. It's not some mechanism. It's not some way that we twist it to get God to answer us. But it is, starts with discerning. God, what do you want for my life? Because God has a plan for your life. And when you decide and when you discern what that is, God, what's your will for my life, you begin to walk in that direction. I'm telling you, things begin to come together. The second is asking. We're going to talk about this next weekend. How do you ask bold and possible requests of God? Asking. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Some of you are scared to ask God like he's going to be some cosmic killjoy. How do you ask him? It begins with asking. So after you discern what it is that God wants in your life, then you must ask. The next step is, is circling. Circling the dream or God's will with focus, faith-filled prayer. How do you have persistency and consistency in the discipline of prayer in your life? This is where a lot of people fall off the bandwagon. You, 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 you quit too early. Things don't happen. Listen, God's not, gonna, God's not some cosmic ATM that you just push the right buttons in the code and put your card in and get, well, you get what you want. Do you understand? Now, I'm not telling you that, hey, you know, you can be debt-free in the next 30 days. If it took you 30 years to get to that point or 13 years to get to that point, it may take you a little while to get out, but God can help see you through. Do you understand? So we're going to talk about that, but what does that mean? How do I stay persistent and consistent? And what does persistency and consistency have to do with God answering my prayers? It has a lot to do with it. And then receiving. Receiving the actual fulfillment of God's promise. Again, I think sometimes we quit too soon. That's why Galatians says, don't become weary and well-doing for in due season. If you don't quit, you'll have a reward. I think there are people that quit right before they get their reward, right before they get their answered prayer. They quit, they give up, they lose faith. How do you keep that? How does that happen? How do you see the fulfillment of that? So discerning, asking, circling, and receiving. Well, I want to talk about discernment really quickly and the power of that. There's an example of that in Joshua chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read this and, uh, and we'll be done here in just a second. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in, no one came out. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hand along with its king and its fighting men. So I want you to march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpets of the ram's horn in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets... Have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go, go up and everyone straight in. Now I just want you to stop right there for a second. Verses 2 through 5. This is God's word to them. That's why they're going to circle this city because it's in God's word. Why we're going to circle in prayer is because it's in God's word. We lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, we would fall. Verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant 
of the Lord and has seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advance, march around the city, an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And Joshua had spoken to the people, seven priests carrying the seven trumpets. Now all the seven priests, seven trumpets, ark of God, it all represents the power and the presence of God. That's the easiest way to say that, okay? So that's why they're doing that. Okay, and look at verse number nine. Then the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. And all the times the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. Verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. The army returned to the camp, spent the night. Verse 12. Got up early the next morning. The priest took up the ark of the Lord. Verse 13. uh, The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching with the ark of the Lord, blowing the trumpets. The the, the armed men went ahead of them around the, the rear guard, followed the ark of the Lord, and while the trumpets kept sounding... On the second day, they marched around the city once and they returned to the camp. They did this for six days. They circled the city one time for six days. Verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. They circled the city seven times. Except on that day, they circled it seven times. The seventh time, when the priests surrounded, sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua gave, commanded the army, Now shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the Bible says in the next verse that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And a 400-year-old promise that God had given Abraham back in Genesis, recorded in Genesis chapter 12, became a reality that day. Now, I want you to understand something. Just because you don't see your prayers answered in your lifetime doesn't mean they don't get answered. Because the Bible says the days is a thousand years of the Lord and a thousand years is a day. And so for those Israelites who are walking around, circling around that city, that city of Jericho, believing for that, they saw their prayers answered in seven days. That's pretty cool. When you can pray a prayer and seven days later it happens. I mean, let's just be honest. Whatever it is that you need God to do in your life, if he did it in seven days, we'd all be pretty happy, right? Like if I could just lose 30 pounds in seven days, if I could just hold on to my pants and it just, boom, it's gone. Seven days, baby, that'd be great, right? That's why the infomercials, right? Okay, so my, my point is, But for Abraham, it was 400 years. Abraham's dead in the ground. But God kept his promise. Because we look at life through a linear perspective of when we live and when we die, that God has to do everything in that time. But God, God is above time. He's beyond time. He created time. He was here before time began, and he will be here when time ends. If you can explain that to me, I'll buy you a Whopper. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's just a pretty big thing to unload. My point is, is that a 400-year-old promise or prayer was fulfilled. For Abraham, it took 400 years. For the nation of Israel, it took seven days. Jericho was the first city that God had promised, and Jericho stood between Israel and God's promise. So what did they do? They circled. That's what I want you to note. And they circled one time for six days, and on the seventh day, they circled seven times. Why? Because that's what God said. When God's word says something, we do it. I'm telling you, that's the reason why I believe in bold, audacious prayers. I believe that we can boldly approach approach the throne of grace and find mercy at any time. Why are you so certain of that? Because that's what the Bible says. I believe we can ask what we will according to God the Father and his will in heaven, and it will be done for us. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. I believe we can speak to the mountain, say it cast into the sea, because that's what the Bible says. I believe it only takes faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, because that's what the Bible says. I believe that God is for us, because that's what the Bible says. That's why they circled the city six times, one time each day for six days, and seven times on the seventh day. 
And after seven days of circling, God delivered on this 400-year-old promise. He proved, once again, his promises don't have expiration dates. Some of you are believing for God to do some great things. And you're weary. Because it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. That passage of scripture I just read you reminds you that God's promises don't have expiration dates. God hasn't given up on it. You don't need to give up on it either. God hasn't given up on your children. You don't give up on them either. God hasn't given up on the marriage. You don't give up on it either. God hasn't given up on it. You don't give up on it either. And what's interesting is when you stop and you look at it, you ask yourself the question, what's your Jericho? That's really what I want you to do. Because what's the promise that you're praying around? What's the miracle that you're marching around? What's the dream that your life revolves around? Because drawing circles begins with identifying your Jericho. It it begins with identifying what you need God to show up and do in your life. It's very interesting, the city Jericho, because a thousand years later, the Gospels record that Jesus is leaving the same city, the city of Jericho. And as he's leaving the city of Jericho with his disciples, there's two blind men that cry out to Jesus. And they say this, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, I need you to do something for me. And Jesus stops, and the Bible says that the disciples feel like it's a bit of an intrusion, but Jesus says, it's okay. And he looks at these two blind men, and he says, what do you need me to do for you? Now think about the absurdity of that question for a minute. Jesus is the son of the God. He's the healer. Well, duh, I need you to, like, restore my sight. Could you open my blinded eyes? Instead of Jesus knew what their problem was, Jesus knew what their situation is, but what does he ask them to do? What do you need me to do for you? I want you to identify your problem. I want you to state what it is that you need me to, to do. I want you to circle that. And they said, we want, we want to be healed. We want our blinded eyes to be open. Boom, your blinded eyes were open and Jesus walks on. What I'm saying to you is, is, what if Jesus is standing here today asking you the exact same question? What do you need me to do for you? He's not a genie in a bottle. But he is a God who has built you and constructed you and knows everything about you. What do you need for him to do for you today? You need to be delivered from something? He's a deliverer. You need him to show up in your marriage? He's a great restorer. You need him to to, to get you out of the jam that you're in? You need grace and mercy and salvation? He's that. You need him to to help you and give you guidance and direction because you feel like on the inside of you that he's called you to do something great, but you don't feel like what you're doing is great. And you just need to know the way. The Bible says he is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm telling you, he's here today. And here's what I believe. I believe, Life Church, that we in 2013 are having probably one of the most momentous years in the history of this church. And I believe that Jesus is standing here at the beginning of this year saying, Life Church, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And I'm telling you, I'm praying the most bold and audacious prayers I've ever prayed. I'm praying for God to do something that's never been done in Milwaukee. I'm believing for God to do things that are humanly impossible for me to do. Why? Why not? (laughs) If he is who the Bible says he is, why not? It's not based upon me. It's not about me. Look, I lost my pride a long time ago. I I realized a long time ago that I'm not all that in in a bag of chips and a little Debbie cake. Can I get a witness? I remembered I got a long time ago that I'm just me. But he's great. 
He's God. He's my Redeemer. He's Emmanuel. He's my Advocate. He's triumphant. And He is a God of more than enough. And I'm telling you, He's here to ask you that question today. So here's what I want to do. may not feel very spiritual, but I want you to grab the communication card that you were given. Just see if you grab that right now. Everybody, grab this communication card. And on the back side of the communication card, the very last box, there's two things that are there I just want to draw to your attention. First, there's 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to explain that in a minute and come back to that in a minute. But the second is, the question is, what are you circling in prayer? Here's what I want you to do. Before you write anything down, some of you know exactly what you need God to do for you this year. But some of you, you may need a few minutes just to pray and process. And so what I'm going to do is I want to give you those few moments. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down. I don't need you to give me a prayer request that aunt so-and-so sick or Uncle Joe needs, needs God to show up or, can, you know, I'd like for so-and-so. I, I want to know what is the thing. If Jesus is standing here and he's asking you, what do you want me to do for you? What's the one thing this year that needs to be circled in prayer in your life? What's the one thing? If God did one thing for you this year, if he did one thing in your life, what's the one thing? You might, this might be something you've been praying for for a long time. It may be something that just kind of clicked into your frontal lobe as I was talking. Whatever it may be, I want you to write that down. And then we're going to pray in just a minute. And as you're processing that, and reflecting on that, we're going to sing a song and then we'll come back here in just a minute and we'll close things out.